I'm Damian Bulwa, Managing Editor of The Chronicle. Today on Fifth and Mission, what will the fall look like on college campuses? Even as universities plan for how to deal with the pandemic, the virus is surging, especially among young people, and the Trump administration is bent on reopening. Ron Krojcik, a staff writer at The Chronicle, is here. Ron, thanks for joining us. Damian, thanks for having me. All right, so Ron, you've been covering colleges And in particular, there's so much interest in how this is going to look like it affects so many people's lives in the Bay Area. What does the landscape look like? What what are the big colleges doing? Most schools are adopting some sort of hybrid model um, with different levels of in-person classes. Um, Stanford has said the vast majority of its classes will be online. Uh, Berkeley has said that any classes of 25 or more students will be online. So some of the smaller discussion sections will be in person. And not surprisingly, some of the smaller schools like St. Mary's College in Moraga and University of San Francisco and Santa Clara perhaps will have more classes in person because they have smaller average class sizes. But what we're seeing uh, here and around the country is more and more schools sort of scaling back and uh, uh, adapting a bit Uh, as the virus surges here in these last few weeks. So I don't think as much as schools have announced their plans, I think there's still some some levels to be determined between now and uh, and the end of August for the schools on semester and into September for the schools on the quarter system. Yeah, I mean, it seems like it could change at any moment. As you mentioned, we're right in the middle of this surge of cases that's going on all over the country and and in the Bay Area. Um, but you wrote about how that surge also uh, is affecting young people quite a bit and, and even frat parties, right? Yeah, well, the timing turned out to be uh, fortuitous in some ways because last weekend, the University of Washington in Seattle uh, disclosed an outbreak of 121 students, mostly in fraternities who were staying there for the summer. And then closer to home here just yesterday on Wednesday, uh, the news broke that there was uh, an outbreak in Berkeley. Uh, of 47 students, uh, again, mostly in fraternities that they traced to some fraternity parties, and in particular, one party last weekend during the holiday weekend. And suddenly, Berkeley, which had had, or uh, the school had had 23 cases for the first three and a half months of the virus, and now suddenly had 47 in one week. So a pretty dramatic change there. Um, and, you know, widening the scope a bit and kind of the, the hook for my story is that across the country beyond college campuses, uh, the surge in virus cases in the last month or so has largely been driven by young people. Um, the, the stats show that there was a 76% increase in positive cases in the 18 to 34 age group in the state of California from the first half of June to the second half of June. Um, The last two weeks, stats haven't come out yet, but those are expected to be even higher. So it's really being driven by young people and most likely young people not following the guidelines to social distance and wear masks. And uh, and that was certainly the case by all accounts at the the frat parties in Berkeley that, that triggered that outbreak. Ron, it just seems so unsurprising. Yes, on many levels, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> well, and my story, for my story, I talked to a uh, psychology professor at Stanford who articulated what you and I and anybody knows that that age group, age 18 to 24, 
is when you're most prone to taking risks and defying authority and, you know, asserting your independence. So it makes perfect sense, especially when younger people are not dying at the rate of older people. Most younger people tend to recover from the coronavirus. Um, so it makes sense that people in that age bracket are not taking it as seriously as older people. Um, well, let's let's square that. I mean, given that that people are that are older in the country have had much worse effects of the virus. How, how much does the age and the and, and how much the virus affects these students weigh on the issue of whether to open schools and what model to to put in? Well, that's a good question, and that's kind of the logic the Trump administration is using for pushing to for schools to open. Is the is the data that shows the vast majority of young people recover from this. Um, you know, the, the problem is, as you know, they can carry the virus to adult, you know, older people, to faculty, to their parents, to their grandparents. Um, and the reality is not all young people do recover. Uh, I believe there was a story recently where two 17-year-olds in Florida died of the coronavirus, of COVID-19. Now, it's certainly rare and not as common as it is in people over 60, for example, but it does happen. So the bigger issue, obviously, is this is such a public health issue and it's so important to contain the virus. It's a difficult balance to strike, you know, between opening schools and resuming normal activity and protecting the, the public. Yeah. And you, you mentioned the Trump administration and, and their approach. They've also taken a hard line on elementary schools and high schools, uh, pressuring states to reopen and counties to reopen. Um, but the Trump administration has also uh, done something with visas that's put another complicating factor for the universities, right? And whether they should reopen and trying to incentivize them to open. Yeah, that was another story that I've been chasing this week. Um, you're right. They, uh, they issued new guidelines on Monday um, that would basically force international students to leave the country if their school went entirely online. Now, it's very confusing to a lot of people, including the universities, including the students involved, um, to exactly who would be targeted and, and who it would affect. Because, for example, a lot of schools like Berkeley and Stanford are mostly online. But the way the rules are written it's only affecting, you know, it's, they're only forcing students to leave if their schools are entirely online. So there's a chance that that's sort of a loophole. But I think the fear, and I talked to a, a student for the story, the fear is sort of the anxiety this causes, the uncertainty. Can they go, if they go home for a, to visit a, an ailing family member, can they get back? Um, and what if the pandemic surges again and schools go all online as they did in the spring? The way it's written now, they would have to leave the country or, or risk being told to leave the country. So it's uh, it's kind of created a whole nother layer of problems. And as you know, uh, the state of California, the University of California, Harvard, MIT, a bunch of schools and, and states have filed lawsuits in the last few days against the federal government claiming that these guidelines are illegal. So it's headed for a big legal showdown in the, in the months ahead. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't seem like they're going to respond to that kind of threat, right? Um, you're going to lose your students if you don't reopen, and the colleges are not responding by saying, okay. Yeah, well, it's, it's not that simple, and it's, it's, it's easy to say that, I think, when you're not running a school and, and, and all the complications of, again, not just keeping the students safe, but the faculty. I mean, I did a story a few weeks ago about the faculty's concerns 
You know, I mean, there's there's faculty members in their 60s or 70s who understandably don't want to go back in the classroom right now. I mean, what do they do if a student refuses to wear a face mask? You know, and then there's a, a showdown in which basically their health is on the line. So uh, there, it's understandable that they have a lot of concerns. It's understandable that students feel differently in that at that stage of life. And it's uh, it's created a big mess, frankly. All right, let's take a quick break. This is Fifth and Mission. I'm here with staff writer Ron Krojcik. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Fifth and Mission. I'm managing editor Damian Bulwa here with staff writer Ron Krojcik, who's been covering the challenges of colleges reopening in the fall amid the pandemic. Ron, I want to ask you about your son. He is a student in Wisconsin, correct? And you, you have, you've been facing some of these same questions in your own family. Well, it's been interesting um, covering this and, and seeing what schools are going through and seeing the, sort of the macro view of it. And then as a dad and as a parent, trying to figure out what we're going to do with our son, who, uh, who is a student, is a business student at the University of Wisconsin in Madison, came home for spring break, March 13th, which he hoped was going to be one week and is still here four months later. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> uh, the, the rest of his semester was moved online. His, his East Coast summer internship was moved, uh, became a virtual internship and is now being done at the dining room table. So it's, uh, it's upended his life a bit, certainly not as severely as a lot of people, but it's, uh, it's an issue. And, and he's probably not going to go back for the fall semester. Um, cause I, my wife and I just don't see how we can, we can get our arms around the dorms being a safe place. And, and most of the, uh, the experts and the epidemiologists I've talked to for stories I've been working on have acknowledged that that's the big health hazard in, at colleges. It's, it's perhaps possible to, socially distance and spread kids out in classrooms, but it's not really possible in dorms when they're sharing bathrooms and sharing dining commons. And it's, uh, it becomes a lot more complicated. Um, so Wisconsin has a, a hybrid model, like a lot of schools where some classes are online and some are in person. Um, but obviously the experience won't be the same at Wisconsin or any other school in the country. Yeah, I can, you know, I can it, just hear your son's uh, ask right now, though. Dad, I really think a year on the Greek islands is, is the way to go. <laughs> Great opportunity. Yeah, he would be happy playing golf for a year, but that's not going to happen. Um, well, but I think what he's come to realize, and I appreciate his maturity on this, is it's, it wouldn't be the experience he's used to. I mean, what's the point of going back to take three of your five classes on your laptop in your dorm room? And you can't go to the football games on Saturday because either there's no games or there are no fans allowed. And you can't, you know, be in the the clubs he's in or on the club sports teams he's on. I mean, you can't socialize with your friends the way you're used to. So for him and all college students, it's just not going to be the same this fall, whether they're even if they are on campus. So in our case, and it's a very personal decision, but in our case, we're we're leaning very strongly toward just doing something online uh, at home. Yeah, and, and he's had a chance to experience it now for a few months, right? I mean, he, he understands what online school is like. Well, and, and that's going to be interesting, too. And this is probably a story for down the line, maybe as the semester starts. But at all these schools, will the online program look different this fall than it did last spring? Because last spring, these schools were pivoting with very little notice, really no notice. And they're not used to virtual and remote education and, and a lot of students complained and the experience wasn't very satisfying. But 
you'd like to think it would be better in the fall now that these universities and these professors have had time, theoretically, to plan a more vibrant, interactive online curriculum. Um, it's not as simple as just transferring what you do in person to uh, the virtual world. So we'll see. It's going to be uh, it's going to be very interesting. So you've been talking to, to, to other students and parents in the Bay Area. Mm -hmm. I mean, is, is, is he going to be the only one? Are we going to see a lot of students opt out? Are people still deciding? Like, what's the what's the current status? I think a lot of people are still deciding. A lot of people, I think, were holding out hope that that things would return to normal somewhat. Um, I think my sense is that students who just graduated high school this past May or June, the class of 2020, it would be very easy and very tempting to take a gap year or to take classes online at a community college and not spend the money, uh, you know, for an out-of-state school or a private school for the online experience. Um, and again, not to much like my son, I think the appeal of going to campus is diminished because the experience is diminished. I mean, even if schools do reopen, not all your classes are going to be in person. You won't have the, the vibrant dorm social life that kids have had in recent years. Again, you won't have the, the community gatherings at football games or whatever else that call it as part of college life. So I think as it gets closer, you're going to see more and more uh, families have serious reservations about, about going back to, uh, to campuses. Last question for those schools in the Bay area that are thinking about a hybrid model, do they already know what they're doing with the dorms? Well, most are trying to reduce the student population by some extent, right? Um, I think at Berkeley, for example, there's, you know, historically been a lot of triples, three kids in a room. That's not going to happen. Uh, they're trying to get down to either singles or doubles. Um, I know at some smaller schools are trying to get down to all singles. So students don't have to share a room, but then that creates a big housing crunch, right? Because most of these colleges don't have enough housing to begin with. Um, so it's a, it's a dilemma. And, and I think the dorms are the big, the big impediment here for this story that, that we're talking about that's in Friday's paper. I spoke to a guy named Greg Gonzalves, who is a assistant professor of epidemiology at Yale. And he's been very outspoken on Twitter and social media and then in my phone interview with him about the risks of dorms. He compared them to cruise ships on land or prisons without bars in the sense of congregate living, right? In the sense that these kids are sharing a bathroom. And that's really what makes it unsafe is that communal living. Um, and that's what creates the challenge for universities to, to find a way to spread kids out, whether it's single rooms or you know, finding hotels they can stay in and also finding some space for kids who test positive, which is inevitable. So perhaps it can be done, but it's, it's, it hasn't been established that, uh, that it can. It's still going to be a giant challenge for all these schools. And, and the ones on semester is open in like six weeks. So it's, it's coming up soon. All right, Ron Krojcik, thanks a lot. Thanks for joining us. Hey, Damien, thanks for having me. Thanks to my guest today, staff writer Ron Krojcik, to King Kaufman for producing this episode, and thank you for listening. 